Good evening, friends. It is, I'm really excited to, to be here and for us to be together tonight. Tonight I want to talk to you, talk with you about the great exchange. If you are homeschooled, you missed out in the great exchange. Some of you might look at this and go, hello, kitty, come on. I've got three kids. I have nothing else to prove, and I'm just fine in my manhood in holding this lunchbox because this lunchbox actually reminds us of the great exchange, and you know what I'm talking about because if you went to public school or private school and you had to bring your lunch, when the lunch bell rang and you showed up at the tables and you maybe fought your way to the cool table or maybe you went to the table where you had some friends and everybody would open their lunchbox, right? And what would transpire after that moment? The great exchange. Where you would look into your lunch and you would go, Mom! In your mind. Because you didn't want people that knew your mom to say like you said something bad about your mom. Because you don't talk bad about someone's mom, even your own mom. And you're like, bologna sandwich again. <laughs> oh, I don't want bologna. And so you'd look around, make eye contact. And if you had a really good lunch, you didn't make eye contact. <laughs> you got to the great exchange moment, and you would open your Hello Kitty lunchbox, and you would like, <gasps> ah! and like angels were singing because you noticed what was in your lunch, and then you would keep your head down. And you would feel the gaze and the glare of people around you who wanted to exchange, and you were like, no, I'm enjoying this. I've got a pudding, and that makes all of life better. And so you would not look up, because you know someone, as soon as you brought that out, you'd be like, I, uh, uh, I'll tra trade you, I got a fruit snack. You know, I like pudding. I like, I like pudding. You know, I've eaten a lot of pudding. That pudding looks really good. Fruit snacks, they stick to the roof of your mouth. You don't, you don't yeah, they're sticky. Like in math class, I'll, just, I'll still be chewing on it, and it'll be 10 times worse. Uh, then and so and so you'd have you go through this great exchange right and here's the deal here's the the thing the part of that great exchange would be that you would always want to what trade up you don't trade down in the great exchange right you always want to trade up you want to get something better so you want to turn your bologna sandwich which was gross into like pudding like that's a trade up right and so you would you would go through that process and you would try to make this great exchange and you would always try to trade up and then, then you grew up and it's no longer a Hello Kitty lunchbox and it's lunch. It's maybe now it's with friends and, and you're like, hey, uh, I've got you know tickets to this this game and maybe you want to go and, and hey, if you want to go, um, I, I really need to borrow your lawnmower because <laughs> my wife's telling me I got to cut the grass and we don't have a lawnmower and I'm wondering if maybe I take you to the game, then then you could trade up and, and I could get the lawnmower for like not just a week but like forever um, because. <laughs> I really don't want to have to keep asking you for the lawnmower. And so maybe you trade shifts at work and you have different you know, times that you've got to work and you're like, well, you know, I, I want to go on that family vacation. I want to go with my family to do that. I want to go to that event, but I have to work. And you're like, well, hey, maybe I'll call so-and-so and, and trade. And what you don't want is to get the worst shift. You don't be like, hey, I'll trade you this so I can go to this and I'll take your Christmas day. No, I'm not going to take your Christmas day. Um, so you don't want to trade down. You, you want to trade up. And here's the beauty of what we're leaning into. In Romans chapter 8, you know, we started this series last week, this idea of looking into these promises 
of God in Romans chapter 8. And so if you're just joining us, we're really glad you're here. We kind of dove into a word, and we kind of said on Easter, we talked about this idea of being a found one. And as a found one, you have a new identity, a new foundation to build from, a new way to base your life on something. And we looked at this notion that in this chapter, in Romans chapter 8, there's some words, some new words that are spoken over you as a part of that foundation, as a part of the reality of what you've been given. Because here's the truth of Romans chapter 8, what's, what's driving home, here's the truth of the gospel, is that God made a great exchange with you. And you didn't try to initiate it. You were stuck with a bologna sandwich called sin and the brokenness of life and, and how you couldn't, in a religious way, try to work your way up into a, religious, into a right relationship with your creator. And God said, look, I'm at the lunch table and I'm willing to make a great exchange. I'm going to take pudding and I'm gonna take your bologna sandwich, and you can have it. In, in a lot of ways, in a simplistic way, friends, that's the gospel. It's the great exchange of life where you didn't initiate it, you didn't think it up, you didn't show up trying to get it. God said, I love you, and I'm willing to make this great exchange with you. And the beauty of what comes through Romans chapter eight, I think one of the most treasured passages in all the scriptures about who we are and what we have access to in this incredible richness of this life that we have through the gospel and this life that we have now in Jesus that's life-giving and it's life-changing when you allow it to grip your heart. And so tonight, I want us to kind of recap real quick what we talked about last week. We talked about the very first verse of Romans chapter 8. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We kind of challenged each other. Say, hey, maybe we'll memorize some verses out of Romans chapter 8. And so this is the one we challenged each other with last week. And I'll have another one for you this week that's a little bit longer. So enjoy this one because uh, it's shorter. And you're like, hey, I can get this. And, and I want you to have that word, that, I, that word, remember the word? Freed. You and I have been freed now. And we looked at this notion how Romans is really kind of Paul's statement in this great letter that says, here's how you understand the gospel. Remember, he, we kind of liken to this idea of the courtroom and how uh, all throughout Romans, Paul's been building this case of our guilt and our inadequacies and our insecurities and our ways that we fall short. And it's been coming against us in, in, in just a moment. The judge, the ultimate judge who is large and in charge, he has the power. And his verdict is coming. And what the verdict should be, we all know. But in just this moment, remember the last part of chapter 7? We talked about this inner struggle that Paul talks about. I, I don't do what I want to do. And what I want to do, I, I just, I can't seem to get my life that way. And, and who's going to save this mess of me? And what does he say? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Savior. And now therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who have aligned their life and put their trust in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation. The verdict comes down, and it should be one way, but remember the two beautiful words? Not guilty. That's the verdict. That's the word. You're freed that we get to live under. And this idea as a found one is we get to live in that, and that your past can humble you, but it does not have to haunt you. We talked about how we've been freed to live with this. Condemnation keeps you stuck in the story of what was. But now we are free to run into the story that God awaits to write in your life and in my life. 
That's the beauty of Romans chapter eight. And tonight I want us to lean into another word. So we are freed as a found one. We get to live with no condemnation. We don't have to try to earn. We are freed. And that's life-giving, friends. And, and the second word that I want us to lean into tonight is that we get to live empowered. Not only are we freed, but we now get to live empowered. There is something going on underneath the surface and behind the scenes in the reality of life. Not only has God given us this great exchange that we didn't deserve and we didn't initiate, but now he's given us this freedom and he's given us power to live the life we were rescued and called to live. And it's not just about you working really, really hard to do it. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, we looked at this uh, a little bit last week. I'll kind of pick up there and we'll kind of launch forward. In chapter uh, 8, verse 3, here's what it says. I'm reading out of the New Living translation, which I usually do NIV, and, and if you don't know what NIV and NLT and all that kind of stuff means, it just means your bright brain is less cluttered than mine, and that's good. Um, so here's the reality. Verse 3, here's what it says. The law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature, but God put into effect a different plan to save us. Remember what Paul was saying? The law is powerless to save us. But we now have this new power. God initiated a new plan. He put something into it. He sent his own son in human body like ours, except that it was not sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He offered him up as an offering. That what the law was powerless to do, Jesus accomplished for us. His power showed up and the scene, and now his power resides on the scene of your life and of mine. To every heart, every life that's turned control and said, God, I choose you because you sought after me. For every life that lives that way, there's now hooked up, you're connected to a new power source. It's not just your effort and your energy trying to live this life that you're being pulled into and called to live, and isn't that good news? No, no. That's not just good news. That's great news. Because how many of you, if you're honest, you don't have to raise your hand, would just say, you know, living this kind of life that, that the scriptures call me to seems like an impossible kind of life. It seems like I can't ever really just attain to it because it's a lot. And sometimes we even filter it through this idea of rules, and I want you to get away from that filter. I want you to, to kind of see this notion that you're called into this relationship into being more and more activated as the creation you were created. The scriptures say you are a new creation, to live more and more how God designed us and is calling us to live. And it's not in your own effort. How many of you drove a car here? Several of you. If you don't know someone around you, they raised their hand too. You can get to know them. You have something in common. Um, you drove a car here. And how many of you have, you know, cars are incredible inventions, right? Uh, I mean, there's some really cool cars that are really awesome, uh, super creations, and there are others that are just, eh, you know, I got a Camry, eh, it's all right. Um, but, you know, this notion that a car is an incredible thing, that I could drive somewhere and get there in a certain amount of time versus me walking or riding a horse or pedaling a bike, those options seem gross, but a car seems nice. But how many of you have had a car fail on you? And then you have to get out and what? Push this incredible invention, right? And they don't come light. 
Maybe a smart car, but who wants to push that? It's like pushing a tuna can. I don't know. Um, but smart car doesn't seem very smart um, in our culture. But anyway, that's a different point. Great gas mileage. Good for you. Um, <clears throat> this notion, I was driving home uh, a few weeks ago. It was on a Sunday night, and um, driving home, and there was a lady stuck on Oracle Road, okay? So I kind of live on that side, and Oracle Road's a big road, probably a lot like 22nd or Broadway or Speedway here. And if you've ever driven on that road and someone stalls out, like, you know that's not a good thing, right? When there's four lanes of traffic and people are zooming by and someone stalled out in the fast lane, that's not good, right? And so I'm driving home and this lady is just stuck. They're stalled out. Nothing, I don't know what's going on, but she can't move. It's a gas station around the way. So I pull into the gas station and I, I, like, I don't always stop. And it's not like I'm a super awesome dude. Um, but like this time I felt like I needed to stop. And so I saw her there and she's just standing by the car. And I'm like, you don't even have your flashers on and someone's going to hit you. And that won't be pretty. And so I run down there and I'm kind of like, hey, do you need help? And she's like, this car stalled out. I can't get it to go. It's not gas. It's something else. And I'm like, well, I'm not a mechanic, but I can push the car. So um, I she gets in the car and I'm like, we're just going to push it around the side, put it on the side of the road and just get it there, right? I'm looking for other behemoth people uh, because I'm not, you know, well, I'm a pretty behemoth, but um, you know, I call, no one else is there. So I get behind the car and I summon the inner strong man of the world competition, person that lives inside of me. And you have that person too. You know these people. Anyone ever watched this show? It's an incredible show where people like pull airplanes out of hangars and you're like, why? And then, you know, they're like, they, they see how many, you know, Volkswagen bugs they can, you know, throw up into the second story window and you're kind of like, why? Um, but like they're doing weird things like that and they've got like muscles on their cheekbones and you're like, that's not right. Um, but so I'm back there, and I'm like, okay, summon that dude, and um, I'm, I'm pushing the car, and it takes everything in me to get the car going. We finally get it going downhill. That helped, and then we got moved around. We pushed it over to the side, and, and I got to thinking, man, this would suck, like, if I had to push my car everywhere. Like, why would people drive a car? I mean, think about it. If you had to, like, if you had friends that were going to travel with you, and they got in the car, but yet the car didn't have power to go, and you had to push them to go to the shopping center, how many of you would sign up for that deal? Like, some of you, like, that's a cheap gym membership. Um, but you probably wouldn't do that. The beauty of a car is that it has power, right? That it can go. That's why we drive them. And so this notion that we ha it's a power outside of ourselves, we understand that concept. And pushing that car would be exhausting if that's how you had to go shopping for groceries, wouldn't it? And here's what we begin to see that all this effort Paul is saying, look, you can live this spiritual life that God's calling you to all in your own effort if you want to. And you will be exhausted. In fact, it will be the kind of life that you really, you, you aspire to, but you always fall short of your aspirations. You always fall short of what the scriptures are calling you to be if you're trying to do it all by yourself. And Paul, throughout this chapter, is saying, look, that's exhausting. And here's the, the point of what I want you to kind of wrap your brain around tonight, what I want us to wrestle with, is that the empowered life is far greater than the exhausted life. The empowered life is far greater than the exhausted life. And for so many believers, so many followers of Jesus, they, they allow grace to save them, and now I have a right relationship with God, but now it's all up to me. 
And I want to say to you, that's exhausting. The point here is to live the empowered life. Because not only are we freed, we, friends, are empowered. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Now, um, not only do we see this reality, see the religious pursuit of perfection is exhausting. If you want to get on a religious treadmill of life and try to reach perfection, I have some sad news and maybe some helpful news for you. You won't. So get off the treadmill. Don't, don't try to be and live this perfect life, but the grace of God is life-giving and empowering to you. God's grace that saved you is the same grace that can empower you to follow after him more and more this year than last year and more next year than this year. And it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And it's about moving and stepping into who you were called, designed, created, rescued to be. How God's designed you. And all that through God's grace. The empowered life is God's spirit living within you. Now, the Holy Spirit is something that I'll briefly talk about. And... Um, we could do weeks of a conversation on the Holy Spirit. There's many different traditions, many different backgrounds represented in this room and understanding of that. And some of you are like, well, the Holy Spirit, what is, what is that even? And, and trying to understand it. And here's what you gotta know. As a, as, a, as a Bible scholar, as someone who's a student of the Bible, and as you try to understand and wrap your brain around the, the scriptures tell us about God. They put God on display. Jesus came and put God on display. Here's what God's really, truly like and what you have to know is all throughout the Bible, God is trying to get closer and closer to humanity. See, we created rebellion, right? We opened the door for sin and brokenness to be a part of our world because we said, Okay, God, you created it, everything's good. We can either follow you or you can choose our own path. We choose our own path and we violate that relationship between us and God and God being holy and perfect and set apart says, Hey, you can't do that. But I love you too much that I'm gonna go searching for you. I'm gonna create a way. And in the whole Old Testament is really a picture of God wanting to get closer and closer to the brokenness of humanity in order to bring it whole and to make it right again. And we're still in process of that. And so God picked a man, Abraham, and he picked a people, he picked Israel, and he had a special covenant relationship with them. And then that wasn't quite close enough, and so he put on a body, and he came as Jesus. And Jesus shows up and he walks among people. But that, that wasn't even close enough for God. And then Jesus starts making these radical statements right before his, his death and his crucifixion, his resurrection. He says, look, it's for your good that I go away. What? Are you telling me? What? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Like, every time I'm around you, I'm different. And so I want you to be here. And he says, no, no, it's for your good that I go away because I will ask the Father. You can read it in John 14, 15, and 16, some great passages that help us understand the role of the Holy Spirit. So we understand God to be one. That's what Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. He's complete, he's whole, but in a triune nature. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's not three gods, He's one, but he has a triune nature. And see, that's what the scriptures begin to unpack, but you won't see the word Trinity in the scriptures. But you begin to see this notion. We kind of maybe get our arms around it. It's a super simplistic illustration, but the idea of H2O, right? H2O is what? Water. But we know water to be three different forms, right? We know it to be steam. We know it to be ice. We know it to be liquid. But we know it to be one thing, H2O. 
And so this idea of a triune nature isn't foreign, and that's what the scriptures kind of say. Look, the role of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus is saying, it's for your good that I go away so that I will send the counselor. The Father will send the counselor. Who's the counselor? The Holy Spirit. Who will be where? Who will be in you, within you, as a follower of me. Not only now is God just kind of around, and now not is only God not only among as Jesus, but now God is within. God is getting closer and closer, and it's the closest we'll taste and experience this side of heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is a really, really big deal. And I don't have a long time to go into it, but if you want to read where you begin to see this triune nature on display, you can go to the book of Titus, which is right before Hebrews, and in chapter three, verses four through seven, you can kind of see that the scripture writers here, Paul's saying, look, uh, he's talking about God the Father, he's talking about God the Spirit, he's talking about God the Son. And so we begin to see that. You can read that for yourself. And so this is very true. And, and Jesus said words like this, it's for your good that he goes away because I'll send the Spirit. And the Spirit's job is what? To remind you of what I said, to comfort you, to counsel you, to encourage you, to empower you. And John 14, 15, and 16 kind of lays this out as Jesus is teaching his early followers. He says, look, the Holy Spirit is now God within you. It's his presence, his power within you. You can now live the empowered life. It's not just about your effort. You can live energized by God himself. Uh, Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. It's a great book about the Holy Spirit if you want to read it. But here's what he says, a, a great quote there. This idea of empowering. He says, empowering his children with the strength of the Holy Spirit is something the Father wants to do. It's not something we have to talk him into. You see the difference? It's not this idea that I have to go and work really hard. No, God says, look, I want to empower you. I want you to live the life you were created and rescued to live and to begin to taste of that more and more this year than last year. I want to empower you. See, Jesus is to be the foundation of our life, but the Spirit is given into us as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance with God, and as the empowerment of God's power and presence and strength within our very life. And we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says this, uh, and we have that. Ephesians 5.18 talks about this idea. It's a great snapshot through the New Testament. It says, here's what this empowered life begins to look like. And he uses this illustration. He says, look, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't need to go into all this because some of you have a little more experience on this than others. But this idea of being filled, what, that's literally what the word means. It's to be intoxicated with the Spirit, which seems kind of weird in some ways, but in other ways it makes total sense because when you're intoxicated, like, you're not in control. There's other things activating and going on, right? You're kind of not in the right place, but you, you're, you're empowered by something else. And what Paul is saying is, look, I want you to live and be filled with the Spirit. I want you to be filled with Him, empowered by Him. The Greek word there for filled is idea, this idea of, uh, sorry, and pleiruthsa is this notion of being filled with the Spirit, thoroughly influenced, controlled, intoxicated, permeated by this spirit. Now, a side note, some people ask me all the time, well, what's your view on drinking? Well, Jesus' first miracle, 
was turning water into wine. I don't think he's against it. I think what the scriptures are really saying is this, don't lose control. Meaning you're to be controlled by something and it's not alcohol, right? It's to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be filled. And this idea of filled is not a one-time thing. It's this ongoing and it's plural. It's not just for the, the spiritual rock stars of the day. It's for this notion of saying everyone who's a follower of Jesus is to be filled and controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. This notion is that it fits like a glove. Like if I were to say this work glove, okay? In and of itself, it can't do anything. It has no power. But when you fill it, it can be useful. And in a lot of ways, that's really what the Bible talks about when it talks about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Paul writes elsewhere to the Galatians, says, keep in step with the Spirit. Meaning, align your life that the Spirit has control over you. And that doesn't mean you lose all control and you become the spiritual couch potato and I'm just waiting here for the Spirit to lift me up off the couch and go do something. No, don't be an idiot. Um, It's this notion that I align my life more and more to say, God, today I want you to fill my life. You have given me the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing my relationship with you. I cannot lose it. You cannot take it away even on your own accord. You promised. And so even when I'm misaligned and even when I'm violating relationships and I'm breaking things around me, you're still here with me. And I can either choose to live in my own power and to not ask you to control and guide me, or I can say I want to surrender my life today, this Monday. I don't like Mondays, but God, would you help me to be filled with you today that I would follow you more quickly, I would hear from you, that the scriptures tell us don't don't quench the spirit. And it's this notion of when you feel and sense the Holy Spirit's asking you to do something, don't say no to that. Because eventually you become more and more deaf to that. What the scripture is saying is, look, cultivate a sensitive heart to God. Because sometimes he's going to call you to do something, to go have a conversation, to walk across the room, and to engage with someone that's there that needs help. And you're going to be like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, nope, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And yet the Spirit is saying, look, I, I, I'm partnering with you. You're not alone. I, I want you to do this because we have a plan here. It's this notion that's not once and for all. It's an ongoing process of staying connected to the Spirit and saying, I want to follow and be filled. I want to be empowered. What would it look like every day to wake up and say, God, the best I know how, I can either try to take on this Monday all in my own power and all in my own effort and all in my own mental capacity, or I can start my day and say, God, today is your day. I'm a follower of you, and I need you to fill me. Then I might respond as you would respond. I would react like you would react. I would see like you see. I would notice. I would feel. I would sense. I would allow me to be filled with your spirit in a way that helps me be, maybe put you on display with the people around me a little bit more. Now, if you pray that, here's what you're tapping into. That's called alignment, that's called connection, that's called empowerment. And no matter what comes your way that day, here's some things you know, you're not facing it alone. 
And you have the power of God and his strength within you. In fact, I want to unpack three different things that comes from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5 through 11. I want us to see three things Paul writes here. It says this idea of the empowered life. It's way better than the exhausted life. And you have the Holy Spirit within you now. So stay connected, stay tapped into that. And he talks about this idea of how your focus begins to see. And begins. the first one is this. When you are empowered, you are empowered to think differently. You're empowered to begin to think differently. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Verse 5, it says this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled, who are empowered, who are filled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Think about things that please God. Now, here's the a, here's a truth. How many of you ever have battles in your own mind about your thought life, right? Raise your hand real high. Because that's 100% of us. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're not playing, but you're still in. Because we know the truth. This is a struggle, right? So what if we say, God, to the best of my ability, I just want to open my heart, that would you help me, would you empower me to think differently. See, the scriptures have so much to say about our mind. This isn't just a careless, emotional response to follow God. This is be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. This is a mental game too, right? It's not just a spiritual, emotional thing. It's, it's God saying, look, I want to empower you to think differently because some of you get trapped into these thought processes where not only do you struggle with maybe impurities or, or struggles or challenges that begin to play these old tapes in your mind and you become stuck mentally, right? And you give up. You know what? I've been there and I'll probably be there later this week. And the truth is in those moments, I need to say, God, would you empower me to think differently, to see the truth. I am not my mistake. I am bought and purchased by the blood of the cross and the grace of Jesus. I am valuable and I am worth it because Jesus said so. And so, God, help me to live that way. Help me to see myself that way. Don't let me get stuck in tapes and mistruths and miscommunication and half lies because that's where the enemy loves to try to get us sideways, right? He's the accuser we looked at last week. So he will always bring up those tapes because that's how he gets you stuck. And what we need to say is, God, would you empower me to think differently? So let me ask you this question. How's your thought life? How's your thought life? I mean, be honest. Maybe this week, I'm gonna give you some questions to ponder, to think about. How's your thought life right now? Are you stuck in some kind of thought patterns that are, that are just holding you back, that aren't even true, but you've bought them to be truth. And so maybe it's saying, God, would you empower me to believe truth and to move forward in that? Would you empower me with that? Maybe a second thing is this, not only in the empowered life is greater than the exhausted life because it can empower your thought life, but empowered, you can then become empowered with a quiet confidence that God is with you no matter what. You become empowered as you are filled by the Spirit and connected to Him that you are not alone, that you begin to encounter life and it's not in your own energy and it's not in your own uh, effort, that every day as you go through, you can have this quiet confidence that I'm a child of the King and He travels with me. 
no matter what comes up. That everywhere I go, every circumstance I walk into, every new situation at work, every new opportunity uh, in my neighborhood, every new challenge that comes up, he is with me. I don't stand in any moment alone. And friends, I've watched so many people, friends, dear friends, who become stuck and get sideways in life because they feel alone. Now, we're called in biblical community to overcome that feeling and to erase that for people. And we'll talk about that later. But the truth is, the truth that we need to have empowered within our mind is there's no moment you stand in where you ever stand alone. God is always with you. And it can bring this quiet confidence that can be there. Look what Paul writes in uh, verse nine of chapter eight. Verse nine, he says things like this. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God, where? Living in you. He's with you. He's with you wherever you go. And maybe third, not only can you be empowered to, to, to have your thought life maybe under control or maybe become a little bit better, more quick to think along the lines of the way of God this year than last year or this month versus last month or this week over last week. And not only can you walk with a quiet confidence, but you are then empowered with God's strength for life no matter what challenges face you and stare you down. No matter what, you're empowered with God's strength for life. The Holy Spirit in you then empowers you, fills you to face those moments. I have a, a dear friend who made a grievous mistake, a bad mistake. And I got to go to a prayer meeting for her uh, a couple weekends ago and to pray for her because she's going into prison. And she is not what happened and not the choice that she made but she is an incredible challenge ahead of her. And we prayed for her to know that look, you, you may have, we prayed for God's strength to be in her while she does this. Because listen, we talked about this. Condemnation, we don't have to be under. Consequences, we all still live under. But condemnation is different. And you don't have to live under that, we were able to say and pray to the end that no matter what faces you, no matter what challenges, what new adventures, what ugly adventures, that come up, it's the people that I've watched who have this, who get the phone call and say, you have this cancer. And the journey that's before them and what they're gonna face, nobody would wish on their worst enemy. And yet they've gotta walk the hallway. They've gotta walk the path of that and for them to know that they are now empowered by the strength of God. Look what Paul says in verse 11. Here's the verse I want us to kind of wrestle with and memorize this week to kind of get our minds around. Verse 11, here's what it says. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. You don't get any more gone than that. So the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living within you. Friends, that's strength. That's power. People don't come back from the dead, but Jesus did. Because it, the Bible says it was the spirit that raised him up. And that same power, Jesus said, look, it's for your good that I go away. 
It's for your good that I go back to the Father because I'm going to pray and intercede for you. But what you really need is the Spirit living in you. Why? Because God wants to empower his people. He longs to do that. That's not a reluctancy on his part. What he wants is for us to stay connected and for us to lean in and allow our lives to be filled daily, weekly, monthly, every year, and to say, God, I need you to empower me. How do you do that? Well, I'll close with this. How do you do that? Well, it may be, I don't know. It may look different for you. But here's what I do know. At the bottom line basics, it takes connection. And it takes you staying connected to God. Because when you're disconnected, you don't have it. Now, the Holy Spirit's given to us, and we can't walk away from God, but we can disconnect ourselves from God, can't we? We can kind of create a barrier and create distance. We can disconnect and say, God, I'm not going to tap into you. I'm not going to lean into you. I'm going to do life on my own. We can do that. Why? Because we, we have will. God created us with human will, the will to choose. And we can choose to disconnect. Uh, I don't often build things, but occasionally I will. And the interesting thing about these saws, if you've ever used them, this is not mine. There we go, Brian. The interesting thing about these saws is when you go to use them, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. It's not working right now. Um, they make a great paperweight. Uh, they're really useful in school. They're easy to carry around. They're very useful, and they do incredible things. They can build things of great beauty that are useful for you. But there's one catch that comes into play, right? If it's not connected, it doesn't have any power. And so if we connect it, and we try not to blow all the circuits... Then it's got some power to it. That was fun. It's got some punch to it. It's got some power. And maybe the Christian life is a lot like that. Maybe the life Jesus is calling us to is will you stay connected? Remember what Jesus said in John 15? Remain in me and I'll remain in you. And as you remain in me, you'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, you will accomplish what? What do you say? Nothing. What he's saying is, look, this life, this empowered life is yours. You and I have access to it. We are not only freed, we are now empowered. But we're empowered as we stay connected. So let me pray for us as we move into a time of communion, as we move into wrapping up with worship here. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray for us as followers of you. For us who are maybe here checking this whole God thing, this whole Christian thing out. I pray that the truth of these new words would speak over us and would sink down deep into our very soul. That God is a found one.
We get to live freed, not guilty, no condemnation for us. And Father, now that the, the same power that was at work through the Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead now lives, resides, takes up residency within us. It's the empowerment we need for life to follow you, to choose you, to live more and more in alignment with you. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that tap into that empowerment every single day. Fathers, we remember communion. We remember the sacrifice of your son Jesus, his body, his blood given. As we worship you, I pray that these next few moments, for each person in this room, you would show us what the next step of empowerment for us is. Because each one of us is at a different place. Pray that we would maybe be hearts in here that surrender. Maybe there be hearts that reconnect. Maybe there be hearts that, that lean in with greater intensity. That there would be hearts that are empowered. So speak to us. Move in us tonight.